0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beale. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal.
1: Hi, this is Ann Beal. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I have a wonderful guest today, and I'm very excited. I have Phil Villa Piano. He's a former pro linebacker who played 13 seasons in the NFL, and um, He also played in four Pro Bowls and was a member of the Oakland Raiders Super Bowl XI winning team. One of the fastest linebackers of his era. And Phil specialized in making big plays, none bigger than his momentum-changing goal-line tackle against the Minnesota Vikings in Super Bowl XI. Phil, welcome to the show today.
2: Hey, thank you, Ann. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be, uh, you know, thinking about being a fast linebacker now that I can't run at all. So it sounded, it sounded very good to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I know it's been tough for you to be on the show today. I just thank you so much for trying and trying to make it so that you can fit me in in the middle of such a crazy schedule you have today.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a little nutty, and uh, it's just my normal lifestyle. And, uh, and I love to talk football, and uh, you know, meeting you down here at, at, in, uh, at the show. It was very nice, and uh, hey, let's let's talk some football. I'm I'm ready for you.
1: Well, golly, you know I I contacted a lot of my friends to ask them lots of things they would want to ask you, and uh, right. so many people had really good questions. Um, but first, tell me tell me how you ended up on the Raiders team.
2: Oh well, that's 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 a good one, and uh, you know it, it, it's nuts. But you're back in, especially in, in my day, you know the the draft was well you know there was no communications like it, like there is nowadays i think almost everybody knows where they're going to go the teams have been in touch uh, back in my day you would get a letter you know, from the Dallas Cowboys and they'd say hey we really like the way you play or you get a letter from uh you know uh the New York Giants hey we like the way you play and then and then you you know on draft day sit there and hold your breath so i re- <laughs> i was in the senior bowl game which was down in Mobile, Alabama, and I had a really good game. I made a lot of tackles. And after the game, uh, I, I, this fellow came up to me, and shook my hand, and said, hi, I'm Al Davis, and uh, great game. And that was all I ever heard from the Raiders. And, uh, and lo and behold, the, the Raiders picked me. <laughs> so, so I was very happy when they did. I remember the Raiders were playing on Thanksgiving that year. They played the Detroit Lions, and they beat the Lions up pretty good. And I said, wow. I'd really maybe like to be on that team. So anyway, there it was. I, I didn't realize it, but I got drafted by him, and, and it was just a wonderful thing. And, yeah, it fit my type of play. You know, everybody has a certain type of play that they like, and, you know, or they do, and I'm I'm a very aggressive type guy, and uh, and the Raiders like to play that type of defense. And when they put me out there, all well, they ask me to you know, I, I really know, you know, all the coverages and all the the, the little finer nuances of of, of the game, but uh, you know, of the, or of the defense because it takes a long time to learn that. I remember when uh, John Madden told me, "For all we, we brought here, to make tackles." So making tackles was easy for me. So I just went out and made a lot of tackles, and everything everything worked out perfect.
1: Well, you know, and, and right now everyone is kind of ramping up for fantasy football. All the teams were at camp, and now they're in preseason. So at this time of year, do you start feeling that feeling?
2: Oh, man. Well, you, you know, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, opening day. I'll be out in Oakland. For, they play Cincinnati in the opener. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, I love football. I know the preseason, what they're doing right now. Everybody, hey, you're trying to make a team. You're trying to show the coaches you can do a great job. Uh, you know, it's all, you know, it's, everybody's all, all pins and needles right now, which is kind of a fun part of football. And then as a, uh, you know, as, 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 you know, you get closer to that fun, breathing game, it all starts coming together. And God, if you make the team, it's just an unbelievable, uh, you know, it's an unbelievable experience that's going to happen in your life. And uh, I loved, you know, I just loved being, you know, being in the NFL, being a part of it. You know, looking back now that I don't have to get beat up anymore, it was a beautiful thing. But back when you're back when you're playing, it's probably not as much fun as, as it is when you're retired and you can brag about it and through your glory <laughs> days. You know?
1: Yeah. But you seem to be having a lot of fun now. I must say.
2: Well, yeah. You know, the, uh, the the NFL kind of set me up. You know, if you're smart, you know, I was lucky enough to play 13th season, which is which is a lot of work and, and a long time. And the good news about that is you played 13th season. You made, a, you made some money and made a name for yourself. But the bad thing is everybody else got out of college 13 years earlier than you did. So they're all, uh, you know, all my buddies had already started their jobs. They were all, you know, a lot of guys were in their second, you know, maybe their second job. And everything was, you know, going wonderful for them. And here I am, uh, uh, you know, just started as a rookie at thirty six years at So So, uh, rookie sales guy turned out to be wonderful because, you know, I loved, you know, I, I mean, I had, I I had some advantages because, you know, naturally a lot of people knew my name and then you get some disadvantages because you're starting out awful late. But, you know, now I'm, hey, I'm, I'm a sales guy. I run around the country. I see friends everywhere. I just love what I'm doing and, yeah, my life is, my life is pretty good.
1: Well, <laughs> You are an aggressive salesperson. I know it sounds like that for a fact. It goes right along with your aggressive playing for the Raiders. You you made comments about your job was to, uh, that every day to show up and and tackle and bring them down. Uh, You had some pretty hilarious statements. I wish I could think of one about what you did and, you know, what your job was every day. And uh, you're known for your quotes about football. Um, So, Many people asked questions about being on the team with John Madden. What was that like uh, and how tough was he as a coach?
2: Well, John John, was a big, he's a great, great coach. And, you know, I just try to tell people that you see John Madden doing his TV shows, you know, and, uh, you know, and being in the announcer that he was, um, you know, John was just, just a, just a great guy, a fun guy to be around. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about John, he understood that, you know, we're all pros. We don't need a whole bunch of rules and regulations because we're football players. And football players are, are a special kind of breed. Uh, you know, they're, they're very, you know, like, you know, they're all, I mean, I don't know, type personalities, type A, type B, type C, type D, whatever people want to say. But I'm telling you, football players are a lot of fun people, very aggressive people. They want to win type people. And, uh, and, you know, you know, John M would take that good part of us and focus that on winning games. And that's what we were getting played, paid to do. And, uh, didn't, you know, we, we didn't have to dress up. We didn't have to, you know, pretty much didn't have to be in on time. All we had to do was, you know, come to practice on time, work hard and, and win football games. And, and if you did that, you know, we could have a, you could have a great career with Oakland, with John, with Al Davis, because Al and John worked together beautifully. And that, you know, that to me was, was, um, you know, that, that was the combination. Yeah, one, Al Davis worrying about every little thing, every little thing. i uh, you know, if there was a, an advantage, you know, I, la- I laugh about the football, the deflate gate up in, uh, in, uh, in, you know, up in New England. And I look back about what what we you know, Al Davis would have done that in a second. You know. If if Jerry Jenny said we wanted the ball a little you know, a little less air in it, no big deal. You know, and, and that's just the way it was in those days and, and no one would say a thing and it would just be it would just be done. If we needed more air in football, it'd be more air in a football thing. You know, if, if we wanted to have the field be wet, the field would be wet. Do we want have the field to be dry, the field would be dry. Every little advantage that that was Al Davis's. Um, you know that was the beauty of him. You know he would figure it out, and John Madden would just coach us. And it, it was it was a great organization uh, to be a part of. And I mean I am just with a friend of mine over in Cincinnati last night, nice, Steve Sylvester, he's uh, got three Super Bowl rings in the Raiders, and we sat there and, and, and uh, entertained a group of people just telling Raiders stories about how crazy it was, and you know people were just just wouldn't understand, you know, that we were a real great football team and we had we had a ball playing at the same time.
1: Well, you know, let me let me ask you a little bit about the deflate gate thing because um I had a couple of players on talking about it back then. And um for me, you know, being a girl, okay, I grew up right. with four brothers and uh I know how much easier it is to throw the football. I mean, I had so much trouble because my hands are small, because I'm kind of short and and I'm right. petite. And so, for me to get my hands around that ball, I can throw a spiral if there's less air in the ball. Okay, if there's not <laughs> and the ball is all the way blown up, I can't throw it very well. And so, you know, I, I would always when I heard about the the air in the ball, I thought, man, I know how much easier it is to throw it when there's less air. You know, and um, yeah. so did they have those rules back then when you were playing for the amount, of, uh, the specific I amount of th- errands.
2: I don't think they did, And To tell you the truth, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I, maybe they did. I don't think so.
0: Because, I don't either. You know,
2: the guys just, uh, you know, it was like, um, you know, you just don't worry about things like that. But that's kind of funny that you would notice. And you would know that it's easier to throw a ball if there's a little less air in it. Well, how about the running back?
1: <laughs> well, you know, and my brothers me All was- of a
2: sudden, somebody did some research on the Patriots not fumbling either because they could grip it a little bit better. And how about the receivers catching it a little easier because it's softer? So, yeah, I guess that is, a, is kind of an advantage. But, uh, hey, I'm all about. You know, New England doing it. I think it was kind of cool that they did it. They got caught. I, I'm sure Tom Brady's gonna have to sit out a little bit. Uh, yeah. I don't know why. You know, I think probably it's not his fault. I would have to think it's more. I would have to think it's more um, of the organization's fault. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and when did they, you know, I thought, well, golly, I didn't even know that. When did they get such detailed roles on the a certain amount of air? You know, football's changed so much since you played because uh, even when <laughs> I saw Tim Timo, and I like Tim Timo, I know what people have to say about him. I saw him make the touchdown where he ran for the touchdown the other day. And those are the right. kind of touchdowns when I was playing with my brothers, they would have said it wasn't a touchdown. And so now they just got to get the ball over the little thingy, right? And I'm just always like, yeah. not even a real touchdown, you know? Yeah. So they've hey, changed hey, the rules quite a bit. Funny.
2: That's funny. You would say you, you know you're a little tomboy, aren't you? <laughs> I love it. I love what you're saying. My sister probably grew up the same way as you. It was she was uh, hey, she'd get out there and talk with the best of us. But you know, um, it's well, I'll give you a little story, and I won't use the, the, the word, but You know, there was a time we were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, they were getting ready to kick a field goal. And uh, you know, um, uh, we used to have practice balls, and the practice balls were balls that are probably let's say five or ten. I mean, they could be five years old, okay? And here's here's this, uh, and what they used to do so the players wouldn't steal them and bring them home and give them to the kids, where they would write the word F-U on the ball. And on our deodorant in the bathroom, they'd write, they'd write it out F-U. And on our deodorant, on our shaving cream. So everything the Raiders didn't want the players to bring home, they would write, they would write that on the ball. So anyway, Jarella is getting ready to kick a field goal, and Ray Mansfield lifts his hand up in the air. Calls the referee over and looks down at the, at the ball and it says, "That's you on the ball, right?" So we all looked in there and we knew that that was an old practice ball because that's what they wrote on the ball. So what the Raiders did was they slipped an old practice ball. You know, when when they, they you know they were supposed to you know kick the field goal, somehow or another, the real football that was harder came out of the game and the soft one went in. Now, I think throwing a soft football is easier, but when you're kicking a dead, deflated football, it ain't going anywhere. So raises his hand. they stopped the game, they threw the ball out of the game, but nobody said a word about it. But we were on defense, we were just cracking up, knowing that the old Raiders tried to slip a, a deflated football into the game. So, you know, back in those days, who, knows if who knew if there were no, I mean, I don't know if there was rules or not, but... That's kind of fun, you know what I mean, The, the think back that we tried to pull that off. And yeah, it
1: definitely made me, it, definitely it, made it, me feel, better feel better when I heard that. Even Tom to Brady did that. I was like, yeah, he's like me. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it's funny, you know, things like that can happen. But, hey, yeah. so the rules, hey there was rules, believe me. And uh, remember the old the Immaculate Reception Game, where the ball bounced off Frenchie's folk line into Franklin Harris's hands. That was illegal. But there was no replays in those days, and the the game went on. So, hey, sometimes you won, sometimes you lost, and it's just the way it
1: is. Well, you know what? Do you mind if we talk about that a little bit? Because, um, you know, the ref, he made it sound like later that he was er, concerned about his life, that if he called the play, which means it wasn't really a touchdown, and uh, it was dead back quite a ways. Um, that he was afraid the crowd would riot, right?
2: Well, Is- it, it was it was kind of looking like that, and I don't think. I mean, I don't know how riots start, but if think. there was a making of a riot, it was that was it was happening at that moment because the people were coming out of the stands. You know, a lot of people have been drinking a lot. Uh, here we were standing out in the field. Uh, you know, there's forty. You know, forty Raiders just in there. In, in, in their uniforms and you got 40 Steelers out there. We just get done battling each other and now there's 10,000 people around us. It was getting ugly. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody might have done something stupid and, 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 and a riot could have started. But, hey, I don't know if the refs were really were considering it, but there's been a lot of rumors they were. But But believe me, Pittsburgh is not a friendly place to play If you're a visitor and probably if you're an NFL ref and all of a sudden you would have called that a no touchdown and they lost, there could have been, maybe the refs would have had a problem. I don't know about the Raiders or the Steelers, but the refs might have been in trouble.
1: Yeah, because, you know, when you think about that long ago, when was that? What year was that? That was 72. And that was the playoff game?
2: Yeah, that was the playoff game,
1: right. So if you guys had won that game, what would happen next? Would you have gone to the Super Bowl or would you just gone to the final? We
2: would have gone on to Miami and played the Miami Dolphins. That was their undefeated season. So we would have gone on down there and played them for the uh, AFC Championship game.
1: Yeah, so it was a really big deal. And I think that, you know, everything happened so fast. I mean, it was the craziest, weirdest play and, uh, you know, I, I had to replay it quite a few times. My husband knew it. He knew all about it. <laughs> he just kept talking about it. And I, I kept wait. And then I saw that. I went, wait, wait. No, that wasn't a touchdown. He goes, very good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And then he started telling me all about it. And I'm always, you know, my friends, the uh, my guy friends that love football, it is amazing to me. You know, they can't remember things, simple things today, but they can remember every play every year for every team back to whenever.
2: (laughs) Well, that's what football's all about. And, you know, uh, Ann, I remember telling people, and nobody would believe when I would say this, but I could remember every play of every season, everything. You know, it's just, when you love something, you, you know, it's, it just happens, you know, and like, you know, when you when you love something, you remember something. Hey, You remember you got your first first girlfriend. You know, you you were so excited. You could remember everything you said to her. Well, football was that way to me and to a lot of people. Al Davis was one. Him and I would talk for hours about things that other people wouldn't you know wouldn't think about, but we could remember everything. And that's uh, and and your and, you're, and, and, and fantasy football people that are out there. They remember every player's name and everything they did, and uh, I love that stuff. And that's the way football fans are. And somehow or another, it's totally captured America, and, and I think it's great. And I'm that, and what it does for guys like me that that did play the game, man. I got we could talk forever, you know, about this, you know I, I can watch the Steelers play right now, or you know the Bengals play right now. I can remember every little thing that happens in the game, and then I. And then I see a Bengal fan and I can talk like that. It's fun. It's pretty cool. And
1: wow. You know, okay. So is, is, I have some detail questions for you then. Are you ready? What, so what are you saying? I'm going to ask you like, okay. So who was the best player that ever blocked you?
2: Oh, let me think about that. <laughs> that ever blocked me.
1: Uh-huh. I would have to say
2: a guy like uh, Russ Francis from the uh, – from the Patriots. He's probably six five, about two sixty. He came off the ball. He was solid rock. That guy gave me trouble. And uh you know and, and Bob Trumpy from the Bengals. Riley Odin from the the um from the Broncos. Oh they they had a tight end over oh my God um for Baltimore. Jim Mitchell oh my god another one and, and then there was another Jim Mitchell from Atlanta these guys were tight ends that were, you know, what I had to do, you know, I had, you know it, it's, it's not that hard if you can put your shoulder on somebody. But when you're a linebacker, you've got to put your hands out there. And a lot of times your hands aren't as strong as the blockers that are coming out at you with their shoulders and their face and their heads these guys come flying off the ball, and you just got to stop their momentum, and you have to fight them, and you can't you can't go backwards, and then you got to get rid of them and make a tackle. So, you know that was kind of hard, but you know the one guy that gave me fits was Russ Francis.
1: Russ Francis, yeah, who did he play for? Patriots. Patriots. Great player. The yeah, Patriots. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I had people asking me that a lot. Like, uh, who who was your hardest person to block? Who was the most difficult person to tackle? Yeah, a lot of people were asking me that. And I, yeah, I thought well, that was a fascinating question because um,
2: well, I, that w- I, I tell you, it's a very good question. And, you know, like, uh, if, at the beginning of my career, you know, I, well, my first, let's say my first six, seven years, I always played on the outside. So I always had to deal with tight ends and running backs. And once in a while, you had to deal with the A pulling guard like I remember John Hanna from the Patriots would come flying around the, uh, flying around pulling. They would you know it would pull him, come around the end. He'd be like three hundred pounds flying at you. That that was ugly too. And I remember Noah Jackson from uh, Chicago Bears another one, big pulling guard. These guys that can run around the ends at three hundred pounds that was that was a problem. And you better know how to get your leverage. You better know how to get underneath them in order to make. you know, that happened. I mean, in order to stop them, But, then, you know, like, you, you just asked me another good question. And, uh, like, who's the hardest running back? And and so after I got rid of the tight end, then I had to make the tackle. So, you, you know, I tell everybody they came in three varieties. They came in the little fast guys. And then they came in, like, the medium-sized great runners, great runners. You know, like Gale Sayers and O.J. Simpson. And, and and those type of guys. And then they came in the big version, like the Larry Zonka. So like let's say my my little version, the fastest guys would be like a guy like Terry Metcalf, unbelievable, unbelievable runner. Otis Armstrong, another Otis uh, great runner, you know, um you know Billy White Shoes Johnson, Try to catch catch them. They're not hard to tackle, just can't catch 'em. Then you got guys <laughs> like OJ Simpson. That was fantastic. Nobody could cut like O.J., run like O.J., and he was also big. It got, got went about 220, you know. So I think O.J. above everybody else would be the hardest guy. And really? then you got the other guys like Larry Zonka that was 250, 255, 260, you know, and, and, and um, those are the guys that hurt you, like Earl Campbell. They can hurt you because uh, they were so strong. So those are my three varieties. Those are some of the guys. Uh, Franco Harris, big, strong. You know, and a lot of people, you know, would say, oh, Franco will just run out of bounds. Well, yeah, he would just run out of bounds when he had nowhere to go. But, boy, you don't want to be in front of Franco when he turns it up the field. He's fast and big and strong. And those guys hurt Yeah, And like with the Raiders, we had Barb Hubbard. Pete Banizak, uh, Mark Van Egan. These were three big strong fullbacks that would run you over. You know, they they, they enjoy running you over. You know, kinda you know, that that those type of runners. So anyway, you're, you get in the NFL, you get all varieties. They as long as you're a big tough guy, you know, that was uh you know, if you're a big tough guy, you could play in the NFL. And no matter if you were big or small, it was kind of crazy
1: well, and you were you were scary <laughs> you were scary and you were big, you know you were a lot bigger than you are now. I mean that's the uh, yeah. yeah, how much did you weigh?
2: Well, probably the most I ever weighed was about two hundred and twenty five pounds, you know, which is not all that big by today's standards, but when I was playing the 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 biggest thing was. You needed to be fast because they didn't have, you know, they didn't on second down. They didn't take the linebackers out of the game and bring in defensive back. You had to be big, big enough to take on the running back. I mean, take on the tight end or a guard, but you had to be fast enough to run with the running backs and the wide receivers. So, two twenty-five, two thirty was. Was a linebacker of my era's size, and that was pretty good size, you know. And you know, I could be bigger than the runners, but the, uh, you know, but still, I could, I could run with them,
0: you yeah. know. And that,
2: so that was, that was kind of what, that was kind of what they were looking for, and, you know. when I went to a lot of Pro Bowls, and I remember, you know, going into the Pro Bowl, and pretty much every year, Jack Cam and I would be playing left, you know, and Ted Hendricks. And Andy Russell, and we would all we would be the starting linebackers, and uh, we were all two twenty five, or right around that size.
1: Wow. Okay. So people were a little smaller as far as the biggest guys. You said one was two fifty. I can't remember if that was Russ Russ Francis. You had yeah, some bigger was, guys was, than was, you then.
2: Yeah. And what what happens? And you know, over the years, they. You know the guys just kept getting bigger and bigger. That's why
0: yeah, I, I'm, I'm
2: kind of glad I retired in 1984. And uh, you know nowadays they're a lot bigger. You know the, the nutrition is so much better. The uh, you know the weightlifting. You know we we had a weight room in our locker room that looked like you know a grammar school could have had it. You know now they got a locker. They got a weight room that looks like you know the biggest gym in the world. You know what I mean. So many things have changed to get guys bigger and stronger and faster,
0: and
1: well it kind of makes you wonder how big can they get you know how big can they get to because you know that the technology is just going to keep growing and growing, nutrition's going to get better and better, and so you yeah. kind of wonder <laughs> yeah you wonder,
2: well, you wonder how big they're going to get, but you know there's there's kind of a limit to i think you know even yeah. though there's a, there seems to be a uh remember remember when that guy Mao came over from China to play basketball? Yeah. he was like yes. seven foot four. I mean there's gonna be some freaks out there, but you know I I got a son right now that's playing uh, football and he's a quarterback at Brown University and a good player. And I, and I one of my biggest things to him is you know, he's like six two, two fifteen, which is he plays quarterback, so a good size. And I say, Michael, look, you all you gotta do is have the mentality, and if you have the right mentality to be a great player, it don't matter what size you are. Is, you know, in football, you got to you know to be a great player. You got to be smart, and you got to be fast, and you got to be you know and you got to want to hit. If you don't, if you're not smart, you can't play. If you're not fast, you can't play. And if you don't want to hit, you can't play. So I, I tell my son that don't worry about the size. And we used to, have, you know, I used to have a, a giant guy would come on me. No matter what, there would be a flaw in his game. Whether he couldn't get as low as I could get, that's a flaw because you, you know, the leverage, you get underneath somebody. And maybe I'm quicker than him so I could beat him. Maybe, you know, if, it you know, I, I don't think I ever came across anybody that was, that could do everything better than me. If, if somebody could do everything better than me, then that guy's going to win. But yes. usually if you're really, really, um, you you, you know it's, You know what you're doing. And you know how to do it. You can do it like a pro. You can you know you can neutralize the greatest talents. So when you're when you're playing at that level, you don't even think. I never even thought how big a guy was. You know, you just play him. Whatever 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 guy comes at you, you handle him. And sometimes you have to handle him, you know, with your forearm. Sometimes you handle him with your hands. Sometimes you handle him with your shoulder. Sometimes you handle them by getting low. Sometimes you handle them by quickness. You just handle them. So every NFL guy, somebody knows that. You don't, you don't ever see anybody going into a game being afraid of somebody because they're so tall. I mean, I remember when the, uh, the, the Chiefs brought in this guy named Morris Stroud, six foot ten tight end. Well, he was six foot ten, but he couldn't bend down. So I mean, he was easy, you know. And then you get a guy like five foot ten, they cut underneath you and could punch you in the stomach that would be a tough guy you know so every everything equals out
1: well and i think that is a great great thing for people to understand in life and in business i know you've been very successful in business and um i would say that skill right there is probably one of the main things that has made you so successful and that attitude
2: yeah well thank you ann and that's kind of yeah, how I am, and and how I was just raised. I got to be this way. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, and I played basketball. And my father was the athletic director at this big high school called Asbury Park in New Jersey. And my father would uh, came to see us play. We were at a place called Bradley Grammar School. And me and my friend, he, well, he, my father never saw me play. It, like at the seven, now seventh grade, we only went up to seventh grade, and then we had to go to we went to the eighth grade it was in high school. So he came over to Bradley Grammar School to see us play, and I was not out on the floor five, you know, five minutes. The coach had to take me out of the game. I had like four fouls. My other friend got like four fouls, and I came home that night expecting my father to say, "God, Phil, you guys really played tough basketball." I expected something like that my father told me I was a disgrace to basketball. I thought he would never come see me play again. If I bet I don't know the rules, and I, don't get, and I make fouls like that. He would not waste his time to come see me play. And, boy, that was a shocker to me. But that's the way I played basketball. And, but that's the way. But football was my love. And when I did <laughs> what I did in basketball on the football field, that was good stuff, you know? So anyway, I, I just started realizing that that was a good thing. To play football like that aggressive, and then when I learned, you know, um, you know, I, I also played better basketball. As I got older, I calmed down the fouls because I realized that was not good. But I still played aggressive. I started realizing everything. If you do everything aggressive, and and, and you just if you love what you're doing and, and and you just attack, that's kind of a good thing, no matter what, you, you know whether it be sports or with your Girlfriends, or with your business, it all is good to be that way. And hey, if other people don't see that, and they sit back and they let somebody that's kind of a, you know, an aggressive guy, you know, beat them out, shame on them. You know, that's you know, God gives us all these talents, and you just gotta use them. You know, and and my my brain is a pretty powerful thing, and that's kind of what. How I run my life. I like, I like to be aggressive, you know, and and not to the point that, you know, I would ever, you know, I've met you, and and you, you know, you see the way I act, but then again, I also know how to control that. You know, you can't be a complete nut. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's gonna want to be around you. But anyways uh, but anyway, it's, it's kind of a good thing. You know, I use that old football stuff in my business. You're right, and, I'm, and, it, and it seems to work pretty well.
1: Well, you know, you talk about um, Al Davis. He he was guy. He coached a long time. I mean, he just died when not that long ago, right? Was yeah, it, in, it died about uh,
2: four years ago now.
1: Golly, um, well, and so playing for him and playing for John Madden. Um, a lot of people wanted to know what Sundays before the game were like.
2: Well, you know, it's it was. You see, you gotta you got remember we were we were winners, you know, and we were winners because of the way Al Davis drafted the guys, put very good football players together, and John Madden coached as like professionals, and, and I and I like to use the word professionals because there was no big. Pre-game speeches and with no, uh, you know, there was, there was, you know, they, you go out and do your job and you take care of your job. Meaning I'm the left outside linebacker. Nobody's getting around my end. Nobody's catching a pass around my end. Nobody's blocking me around my end. It it just, that's off limits to to an offense. If I do that and next to me, John Matusay, Six foot ten, three hundred and ten pounds. If nobody blocks John Matusak and he rushes the passer and he, and, he, and he totally disrupts their backfield, then we got something good. And right next there was Otis Sistrom playing right over the the center. And Otis Sistrom, if nobody can block him and he rushes the passer and he makes every tackle in there, so you know what I'm trying to get at. And everybody does their job, you're gonna win. If, so John you know, Madden didn't know,
1: did, you know, people would probably have thought that he would have done these great pre-game motivational, you know, speeches. But yep. you're saying he didn't do that.
2: You wouldn't you would, you wouldn't hear from John at all. He would get up in front of the the team and say, okay, gather up. And everybody gather up. Take a knee. And you take a knee. And it gives you about 30 seconds, about a minute maybe to say a you know, prayer, talk to God a little bit. And then you look up and say, let's go kick some ass. That'd be it.
1: And, wow, that's awesome. You know,
2: and, and that would be it. Matter of fact, I'll never forget the Super Bowl. I'm looking for a pep talk. I loved a coach to tell me that somebody wants to beat my butt or I can't do something. I love that kind of stuff, okay? Well, John Mann gets up in front of the whole team, says, you yeah, know, take a knee. And we all, we all, did, we all, we all did our little prayer. And then he looked at everybody and he said, this will be the biggest single event in any of your lives, as long as you win. Let's go.
1: That was it. Well, that's a very powerful a statement. Coach. But also, he knew you guys didn't need that. You were already so pumped up, right?
2: Well, you're absolutely right. I'm sure if John thought we needed anything more than that, he would have definitely said more than that. What? Nope. You know, John just said what he needed. Now, when you're on the field and you miss a tackle and John comes over and gives you that mad look, you got a problem. Because <laughs> John wanted perfection. Al Davis wanted perfection. And we pretty much gave him perfection. And uh, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. You know, when, when you can deliver what your coaches want, And and if we won the game and it wasn't perfection, you wouldn't hear a word. But if we lost, which did happen often, but if we lost and and uh, and you didn't play, you know, you didn't have perfection, you would certainly hear about it because that's that that was the um, the Raiders' way. You know, they wanted they wanted you know they Al Davis is one of his. You know, greatest things besides just win baby was commitment to excellence. And we worked hard at being excellent.
1: Well, and I would think that after um, the game in Pittsburgh with the Immaculate Reception, um, which people might not know exactly what happened. Can you quickly detail that so they they can hear it while we even talk about it?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that's the, you know, probably the biggest play in the, you know, you know anybody that ever goes over the plays of the NFL, the biggest play in the history of the NFL, it changed a complete city. It could change, the, it changed a complete franchise around when, when they beat, uh, the Steelers beat the Raiders that day. And what happened, it was, uh, you know, let's, we'll, we'll back it up to Daryl LaMonica was playing quarterback and deep into the fourth quarter. Uh, John Mann finally you know took out Darryl was being ineffective put in Kenny Stabler and with about a, uh, let's say about a minute left in the game snake scrambled around the left side and uh, and there was nobody there they were all off covering our defense I mean covering our receivers Kenny ran, ran about 30 yards in for a touchdown and we were down 6 nothing before that happened so we now were up 7-6 we kick off to the Steelers and um and so then now it's under a minute to play, and it gets down to fourth down and 22 to go. It's snowing, it's windy, it's freezing cold, and they got one last play. And um, I'll never forget and getting in the huddle. And Franco Harris was my guy. I had to cover Franco. Uh, we had one. We took out one linebacker, appointed another defensive back. So we took out Dan Connors, who was the middle linebacker. We took him out. Gerald Irons and myself, gerald has got Fuqua, I got Harris. And on that particular play, they had maximum protection for a. And um, uh, no, they didn't. Uh, Fuqua left the backfield and was running a pattern. Franco stayed in the block. I ran up by Grant Franco, and now Pratchell runs around to the right and the opposite of me. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Franco releases down the field. And I'm like what's this jerk doing running down the field? You know, he ain't going to do any good down there, but anyway, I'm running right next to him. And then I saw Bradshaw throw. So I left Harris to go help on the tackle if I could. And uh, Tatum comes up and nails Fuqua right in the back. Frenchie's shoulder hits the ball. The ball uh, ricochets off of his shoulder right back to where I just left. And now I turn around and near Franco, right. You know, cause I left him. Keith, Go going to catch the ball. I'm like, holy shit. I run over there. I go to help Frank, you know, help make the. I mean, I thought I could make the play. This guy McMakin dies in the back of my leg, so he clips me. So let alone the ball hitting Franco's shoulder, I mean, Franco's shoulder going from offensive guy to an offensive guy, which is illegal. That happens. Uh, I get clipped on the play. I see Franco go down low, not sure if he even trapped the ball on the on the turf or not, maybe he did, so that was like three illegal things, and you know all of a sudden he's off and running and uh and, and, and he goes in for a touchdown it was twenty two seconds left, so you know ended up uh with about ten seconds left, they kicked off to us, but the game was over, and they win the they win thirteen to um to seven, so you know it was just a crazy bunch of events. That went bam, 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 faster than you could even think about it, and the, the the stadium didn't know what happened. They just—I mean, the referees didn't know what happened. They never put their hands up and said touchdown. Everything was nuts. The people were coming down on the field. The referees disappeared. They went into a uh, into one of the dugouts, and they called upstairs, and uh, they supposedly said, "We got to get out of here." <laughs> so it was nuts. But you know, all all things. You know, think back about it. And uh, Franco Harris, I have great friends. He calls me every December 23rd, right around four o'clock in the afternoon, and asks me what I'm (laughs) doing, and just to remind me of the immaculate reception. And then uh, we've, we've, you know, we've had many, many laughs throughout, you know, over the years. You know, I'm I'm saying it was illegal. He's telling it telling me I was loafing on the play. That's why he ran down the field and. And he, and he was I outran me, and I'm like, get out of here. I left you, you know. So we laugh about it. But, you know, uh, being involved in the, the number one craziest play in the NFL history, that's kind of cool. And being covering Franco, last year was the uh, 40th anniversary of that play. Actually, not last year, two years ago. Franco invited me to come out and spend the weekend with him and do all the Steelers stuff, which I did. And I represented the Raiders. We had a ball. You know, reminiscing the Immaculate Reception. They put a statue in the parking lot where that happened. I got the chance to get up and tell everybody I was clipped on this spot right over there. So it was kind of funny. So we, hey, listen, all in all, we, we, you know, we got the Steelers on a roll. They went on for, you know, 10. Well, as a matter of fact, Steelers are still pretty good. And uh, they, you know, we got them going, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. And, it. and it was just a great play in the history of the NFL. And, you know, I've got plenty of friends on the Steelers because of that play and we talk about it every time we see each other. So all said and done, I'm kinda of glad it happened. And well, we it, ended it, up going back and winning the Super Bowl years later, so that's good. Yeah, I that's mean, what I was thinking. Hand.
1: So what did John Madden say to you guys after the game?
2: Well he couldn't he couldn't say he couldn't say very much. I mean I'm not we really didn't even know what happened. And we I didn't At this point, similar to you and millions of other fans, I didn't even know about the rule offense to offense. Now that rule, they threw out that rule after that game because, you know, it's too hard. You know, they just, I don't even know why they had it in the first place. But I think John Mann was the only guy that knew why he was on the field, why he was arguing with the referees, because he was totally right. He was totally correct. It was an illegal play at that time, not in 2015. But no, and it, it was illegal then, so we, John had every right to be out there on the field. But nobody yeah. really knew. And what he said after the game was probably, guys, we got screwed. But what are you going to do? Game is over.
1: Well, and, you know, I think that so many people watching don't always know the rules. I mean, it, it takes – you really have to know football to know all the details of the rules. And I try, you know. And at my best, yep. I still don't always know. So I think that yeah, that's and, and, what's so good Yeah, you, I
2: mean, all the rules are crazy. And, and that's why, I mean, nowadays, you know, they go up to the booth and you have, you have a referee watching the referees, you know. So that's it's there's a lot of rules in the game of football. And, you know, Ian, I think that's why football is so good because you can get very, very, you know, very, very technical and you can know all the rules and love the game. Or you can just know where the first down is and watch the guys move the ball down the field. And love the game. I think that's one of the beauties of football.
1: I do too. You know, for me, like even just like in ninth grade, started loving it. I knew so little about it, and yet I always had so much fun. Well, and I, I know that you have somewhere to be, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. But I just yeah. want you to tell us, you know, for you, based on everything that's happened in your life so far, I know now you're the vice president of a, w- would you say it's a software company or what kind of company? A logistics well, company, right? Yeah,
2: we're a logistics company, and we're a pretty big logistics company. We're called Odyssey Logistics and Technology. So I'm technically in, and even though I love, I sold ocean freight for 30-something years before I came to Odyssey, I love to sell ocean I love, you know, fly around the world and all that good stuff. But my job now, believe it or not, and my, my, children, my children laugh at me, I say, guys, I, I'm in technology. And they laugh at me because I have my sons and my daughters do everything for me. But now, hey, I'm getting pretty good at it. So I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. So we are the technology end of transportation. So if you're a company and you're moving freight, and you have yet to get into the, you know, 2015s where everybody, every technology taking over every, every business, uh, transportation, I think is one of the last businesses where really technology is being deployed right now. And we've got a real good technology for shippers, you know? And, and, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting in a, uh, a parking lot right now, a p- place called Malt products over in Dayton, Ohio. And they're probably going to end up using our technology to run their transportation. So it's a, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. And it's a good way for me. You know, I got a few more years to go. I got to pay for play on university. So give me a few more years, and it's a good way for me to go out. You know, and it's fun. It's new. And you know, and it's I, I like what I do. Well,
1: and if um. If we can just say thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you being on the show. I want to say congratulations for your son, Michael, being on the Cleveland Browns. What position? He's playing quarterback, right? No,
2: no, no, no. no. Hold on. He's at Brown University. He's oh, in oh college. Brown University. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: he's oh, like, hold on, hold oh on. My. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I would right. love for Michael to be on the Cleveland Browns. He's <laughs> got awesome. two more years to go. And I yep. think he's a pretty good player. So let's see maybe maybe two years from now we'll talk and you'll say hey phil how about that i was the first one to predict your son was going to the browns who knows that
1: would be great but, i hope that happens that would be awesome yeah, wouldn't,
2: that be, wouldn't that be cool So anyway, yeah. yeah
1: so, would so you, uh, yeah, i will be praying for him and i just say congratulations Tina. You. you have five children is that right or four children
2: no i got three i got uh three i got a daughter who's 36 andrea and I got two grandkids with Andrew. I got a son Philip who's getting married in this next summer and he's 34 and then we got Michael who's 22. So that's we
1: got wonderful.
2: three.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. That is living well, having a great family, having grandkids, having a wonderful job because you're still going 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 and loving it. And yeah. um people can really learn from that. And I know you started doing that work some of that logistic work even when you were playing for um the Raiders.
2: Yeah, right. I did. I did five off-seasons back, you know, when I played. You know, like, they pay these guys to be on the payroll all year. Back when we played, after your last game, they would shut the locker room. And they didn't open the locker room up again until, like, July. And so we all knew we needed another job to go along with football. So, I, uh, we, you know, we won the, won the Super Bowl in 76, go to Las Vegas for a big party, play golf with a guy. And my father used to tell me, Philip, this could end on any one play. So you better, you know, always, you know, you know, be nice to people and find out what they're doing. You never know. Maybe maybe somebody has a job for you. So uh, I get done, you know, playing golf with this guy for a couple of days. And he says, let's go have a beer. So we had a beer. And he said, what do you do in the off season?" I think you'd be a good sales guy. So anyway, I said, well, where are you guys? He says, I have ships?" And that was 1978. So I've been doing logistics since 78 and mostly ocean and, and and like domestic and some some truck. So I've been but I've been doing a lot of it and uh, I still enjoy it. And I, I think uh, it's a great it's a great career for anybody. And now these schools like University of Tennessee and Penn State and all these big schools have got these logistics degrees and, you know, I think uh, any kid that's in it, it's a fun, exciting, and it almost makes you feel good because every time you move something, it's kind of like you go out and rake the leaves. You know, you feel good about yourself when you, <laughs> yeah. when you move product. You know, So I kind of enjoy it, and, you know, and you get a lot of rewards in it, and it's been a very good career for me.
1: Well, I wish you the best on this meeting, and have a great, great week, and um, just thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you, Ann. I'm so I'm so glad we did this. And uh, perfect timing for me. Um, I'm, I got a 10 o'clock meeting. It's 9.51. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go sell this guy. In. He doesn't know what's coming at him. That's right. Have, win, baby, I'm win. Right? A, I, am, I am fired up to go in here and sell my friend, <laughs> my new best friend, Bill, even though he has no clue who I am. I'm going after him.
1: <laughs> He'll love you.
2: <laughs> See you later, Ann. Take care.
1: You're welcome. Take care. Live well. Bye, guys. Bye, Thanks guys. for listening.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week.